Matter. Well, good morning and welcome once again to the Family Bible Hour. It's always a joy to be here together with the saints at the not only the ministry hour, but especially at the breaking of bread to enjoy the fellowship of the saints in the Lord. Those smiling faces are always an encouragement to the speakers here at Faith. Throughout the years, there have been some very wonderful sermons preached from the platform, and as a result, we have grown accustomed to good sound teaching from the Word of God. I especially have been greatly blessed by the ministry of the younger men from this assembly and always look forward towards their ministry. However, occasionally we must endure older gentlemen such as myself as we continue to steadfastly plow through chapter by chapter in the book of Genesis. We began this wonderful book of beginnings some nine years ago at Faith on January 31st in 2010 when I preached on chapter 1 verses 1 to 31 entitled, In the Beginning. Today, Lord willing, I would like to tackle the last chap the second last chapter of this book, chapter 49, verses 1 to 33, thus leaving us only one more chapter to do. And thank you, uh, Matt, for reading this whole chapter for us already this morning. I have customarily asked one of the brethren to read the chapter which I would be preaching on so that I would not appear to be at the platform too long, and thereby risk the chance of putting half or all of you to sleep. So thank you once again, all those who have read for me. So if you still have your Bibles handy, would you all turn with me, please, to Genesis chapter 49, verses 1 to 33 for our main text. But as always, I'll ask the Lord's blessing for this text. Father in heaven, we are so thankful to have the word of God in our hands this morning. We are thankful because thou hast promised that every word of it is truth, that not one jot nor tittle shall pass from any of the law till all be fulfilled. And we thank thee, Father, that we have the Holy Spirit of God indwelling us to help us to understand the things that we read from this precious book. And so this morning we would once again ask thee to be pleased to guide and direct us by thy spirit and shed thy grace abundantly upon us this morning as we examine this text before us so that our hearts and our minds might be willing to obey what we read and what we are taught here this morning. For we ask it all in our Savior's name and for his glory. Amen. In our last message, we dealt with Genesis 48, verses 1 to 22, and we primarily focused on the intimate discussions of Jacob's life journey with Joseph how God appeared to Jacob at Luz in the land of Canaan, and how he reaffirmed the promise which he had made to Abraham, Isaac, 
before him. Jacob also sadly recounted to Joseph how he had buried his beloved Rachel, Joseph's mother, in Ephrath, or Bethlehem, after she had finished giving birth to Benjamin. We also saw in that chapter Jacob's love and affection for Joseph's two sons, Manasseh and Ephraim, when he not only received them as his grandsons, but actually adopted them as his own sons, thereby bestowing upon them blessings which they otherwise would never have received. Now we come to chapter 49 of Genesis. It is a chapter that deals primarily with the blessings which Israel bestows upon each of his 12 sons. And because of the time afforded to us this morning, we will only be able to tackle each one of these blessings very briefly this morning. And so, in verse 1, Jacob called unto his sons and said, Gather yourselves together, that I may tell you that which shall befall you in the last days. Gather yourselves together and hear, ye sons of Jacob, and hearken unto Israel your father. And here we see Jacob on his deathbed. He is surrounded by his family of sons, and there is very little reason to suspect that it would be restricted to just his sons. There could have been other members of his family there as well. And he informs them of that which shall befall you in the last days. Jacob did not mean what would happen to them from day to day, so to speak, but rather in the distant future, in the last days. This is what God revealed to the dying prophet, Jacob. We who have been studying Bible prophecy on Monday nights will readily recognize this thing called the law of of double reference. There it is, Jerry. The law of double reference, which means that Old Testament prophecies often had their complete fulfillment sometimes in the remote future. So the prophecies which Jacob utters concerning each son have in some part already been partially fulfilled. But the rest of the prophecy must be fulfilled someday in the distant future. And so when Jacob says in the last days, he means that time period that extends all the way to include the Lord's return to this earth and his reign here. He tells them in verse 2, gather yourselves together and hear, ye sons of Jacob, and hearken unto Israel your father. Here we see Jacob's sons crowded about his bedside, intently and respectfully listening to what would be for all of them their dying father's last words. There can be no greater comfort for a dying parent than to be surrounded by the children that he or she so lovingly raised and cared for all their lives. On the other hand, there can also be no sadder moment, both for parent and child, to be absent in such a time of need. 
Thus, Jacob begins his prophetic blessings with Reuben, his firstborn son, and the first son born to Leah. Reuben, as the firstborn, was entitled to a double portion, but because of his great sin in committing adultery with Bilhah, Jacob's concubine, he lost his birthright, which fell then to Judah, while the double inheritance fell to Joseph's two sons, Ephraim and Manasseh. Though this sin had been committed some 40 years ago, time is not able to erase its consequences. Jacob tells him that he is unstable as water and that he shall not excel. Verse 3. And as history unfolded, we saw that there was no judge, no prophet, no hero ever to emerge from the tribe of Reuben, but rather the opposite. Ringleaders with Korah who rebelled against Moses arose from the Reubenites. But he is given a portion with the 144,000 in the book of the Revelation 7 verse 5. Then Jacob speaks to Simeon and Levi together, calling them the instruments of cruelty, in that they a long time ago ruthlessly murdered all the male Shechemites because of their sister's defilement by one of them. Jacob abhorred their sin, and even after all those years still remembered it and cursed their sin and their anger. He also said that they would be separated and scattered for their own good. And as a result, both tribes began to fare better later on. Levi would become the priestly tribe eventually, and Simeon would join with Judah in battle, etc. Simeon, as we recall, was the second son born to Leah. And Levi was the third son, also born to Leah. Then we come to Judah, the fourth son born to Leah. It would be upon him that the royal birthright would be bestowed. We remember that it was Judah who confessed their sin before Joseph, the sin of selling Joseph into slavery. And Judah's blessings were many, verses 8 to 12. Judah would first of all be the biggest tribe, would have many victories, would have the preeminence of all the tribes, and their symbol was a lion, indicating that from this tribe would one day come the Messiah, who would also be known as the Lion of the tribe of Judah. Revelation 5 5. This was the kingly line out of which came Israel's most beloved king, King David. And Judah held the scepter and did not lose it or relinquish it until verse 10, Shiloh came. That is, until Christ came. Then Jacob confers upon Zebulun his blessings. Zebulun was the tenth son and the sixth son born to Leah. Zebulun would become the commercial tribe and prosper as sea merchants. 
Then we come to Issachar in verse 14. Issachar was the ninth son of Jacob and the fifth son by Leah. This would be a strong tribe which fought battles valiantly when called upon. But it was a lethargic tribe, a tribe that preferred its ease and was unwilling to use its strength for the interests of their country. Next, we come to the tribe of Dan, verses 16 to 17. Dan shall judge his people as one of the tribes of Israel. Dan shall be a serpent, by the way, an adder in the path that biteth the horse heels so that his rider shall fall backward. Now, Dan was the fifth son of Jacob and the first son born to Bilhah. This was a very mysterious tribe of Israel. This tribe produced Samson, one of the greatest judges of all of Israel. But this tribe was marred in idolatry, and Dan is omitted from the 144,000 sealed in Revelation 7. Some expositors have suggested that because of the reference to the serpent in verse 17, that possibly the Antichrist would one day arise from this tribe. Then there was Gad, verse 19, the seventh son of Jacob and the first by Zilpah. Gad would be used one day of God to help the fugitive King David to do battle when he needed help most. Gad would also be used of God to execute justice and judgment, as we see and read later on in 1 Samuel 22.5 and 2 Samuel 23.36. But please notice verse 18. I have waited for thy salvation, O Lord. This verse seems completely out of place. We see that the word salvation is used in the Bible here for the very first time. What did Jacob mean by this and why was it spoken and inserted precisely here in verse 18? There is salvation in none other than Jesus Christ. So what might have Jacob been saying? Could Jacob have recalled God's ancient promise in Genesis 3.15, when God promised, and I will put enmity between thee and the woman, and between thy seed and her seed, it shall bruise thy head, and thou shalt bruise his heel. Could Jacob have recalled it after giving Dan's prophecy in verse 17, that of a serpent biting the horse's heels, and connecting that to Judas's prophecy, of the coming of Shiloh in verse 10. Could Jacob, like Simeon in Luke chapter 2, when Christ was presented to be circumcised, he, that is Simeon, in the spirit saw and declared in Luke 2, 29 and 30, Lord, now lettest thy, thou thy servant depart in peace according to thy word, for mine eyes have seen thy salvation. I believe that 
that could have very well been the case. That was the only statement that Jacob addressed to the Lord during this entire chapter. Then Jacob continues with Gad in verse 19 and Asher in verse 20. Asher was the eighth son of Jacob and the second son of Zilpah. This was not a very famous tribe. It had a very uneventful history. It never produced a great warrior or a judge or a king or a counselor. And no great battles were fought in the land of Asher in Israel's time. Asher, although had rich pastures and dwelt in the land of plenty and was willing to share it with his brethren. His greatest defeat was his unwillingness to drive out the Canaanites. But instead, Asher was content to dwell with them. But out of this tribe arose Anna, the prophetess, in Luke chapter 2, verses 36 to 38, who confessed Christ as the Redeemer of Israel that should come. Naphtali is next in verse 21 and is described as a hind let loose. He giveth goodly words. Naphtali was the sixth son of Jacob and the second son of Bilhah. Not much is said of this tribe other than it would be an erratic tribe, erratic as a wild gazelle, so to speak. But as a whole, the tribe would be characterized by its courage and eloquence of speech. Two famous characters emerge from this tribe, and they are Barak the warrior and Deborah the prophetess. In the next section, verses 22 to 27, we see the blessings bestowed upon Joseph and Benjamin. It is only fitting to save the best for the last. For both Joseph, the 11th son of Jacob, and Benjamin, his 12th son, and the youngest, were the sons of his beloved Rachel. Joseph, Jacob's most beloved son, was taken from him and sold into slavery into Egypt, where he would eventually emerge as the savior of the world because of the severe famine. Joseph provides us with the most comparisons to our savior. Like Christ, Joseph, when taken, is never recorded of ever having opened his mouth in protest. Because of his willingness to yield to God in all that befell him, Joseph was greatly used of God. To him was given a double portion through his sons Manasseh and Ephraim. And finally, Jacob bestows upon Benjamin his blessing in verse 27. Benjamin shall ravine as a wolf. In the morning he shall devour the prey, and at night he shall divide the spoil. The Benjamites were the bravest and best-loved tribe of Israel. In the future, the Benjamites would represent personal courage and be like a ravenous and successful wolf. 
Out of this tribe came the likes of King Saul, Israel's first king, and later the Apostle Paul. In the closing five verses of the 49th chapter of Genesis, we have Jacob's serious charge to his sons concerning his burial. This is basically a repetition of what he had already told Joseph back in Genesis 47, 29 to 31. Joseph had already given him his word that he would do it. But there were other sons that needed to know their father's wishes, and so they too had to be ready to help each other in carrying those wishes out. When children know their dying parents' wishes, there is less chance of upheaval later on after their departure. And so Jacob proceeds to tell them where they are to bury him and why he is to be buried there. Verse 29. And he charged them and said unto him, I am to be gathered unto my people. Bury me with my fathers in the cave that is in the field of Ephron the Hittite. In the cave that is in the field of Machpelah, which is before Mamre, in the land of Canaan, which Abraham bought with the field of Ephron the Hittite for a possession of a burying place. There they buried Abraham and Sarah his wife. There they buried Isaac and Rebekah his wife. And there I buried Leah. The purchase of the field and of the cave that is therein was from the children of Heth. And when Jacob had made an end of commanding his sons, he gathered up his feet into the bed and builded up the ghost and was gathered unto his people. In verse 28, we are told that these were the 12 tribes of Israel, and this is that what their father Israel had told them and afterwards that he blessed them, every one accordingly. Notice, please, that though sometimes children need to be rebuked for the mischief which they have done and clearly shown the serious consequences of their actions, the parent will nonetheless bless them before God if they have hope in the heavenly Jerusalem. For though we all deserve much less than we are given, we need to be most thankful to the God of mercy who has withheld what we rightly deserve, but in its place has graciously given what we do not deserve. And so in that light we are all deemed to be greatly blessed. Then, in the final verses which we have just read, Jacob very carefully stipulates what they are to do with his body and where they are to bury him and why they are to bury him there. He wished to be gathered onto his people and with his fathers because Canaan, not Egypt, was the land which God had promised to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. His beloved Rachel was also buried in Canaan in a little town called Ephra, or Bethlehem, Genesis 48, 7. Then, having presented his dying request, Jacob, we are told, gathered up his feet into the bed 
and yielded up the ghost. To be surrounded by our loved ones at the moment of our departure to our heavenly home is not only a blessing to the departing soul, but also to those souls who are lovingly placed around the bedside. It is at times like these that the burdens of the heart must be released and resolved so that peace might be left behind. To have lived well is every soul's desire, but to die well is a much better blessing. And so we have come to the end of our sermon for this morning. And Lord willing, we will tackle the last chapter of Genesis in our next meeting. But now before I step down from this platform, I ask you this. If you were to die today, where would you go? Would you go to heaven, to the mansion where God resides and has prepared a place for all who have put their trust in him? Or would you find yourself in that awful place of torment called hell? I trust that no one here this morning is without Christ. But if by chance you are uncertain as to where you stand before God this morning, if your life has not reflected the new birth and produced the fruit of a new life, won't you now turn from your sins and turn to Christ to save you? He loves you and wishes to save you. He will never turn you away if you come to him in genuine faith, belief in the Lord Jesus Christ, and thou shalt be saved. Let's pray. Father, we thank thee for this beautiful story of Jacob and his sons. We've almost come to the end of this precious book called the Book of Beginnings, Genesis. We pray, Lord, that we have learned some important lessons of life. One being that God is always faithful, that God always keeps his promises, and that God has said there is none that doeth good, no, not one, and the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through his Son, Jesus Christ. We thank thee that as we read further on in this beautiful book, that God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. Father, we are thankful that the message of salvation is so clear and so simple that even a child can understand and be safe. And so we ask thee now, Lord, to part us with thy blessings this morning. And once again, if the Lord be not come, may it please thee to bring us together round his table next Lord's Day. For we ask it all in his name and for his glory.